Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my friend, my colleague, my co-host, Ross, no middle name, Ferguson. <laughs> How you been, brother? I'm doing well. I'm so glad it's summer. That's what I'm going to say. I mean, I'm dying in the heat, but I'm glad it's summer. But it's not summer yet. But British it's, people... It's May. That's uh, summer <laughs> for us. Like, I'm going outside yeah. and... I, well, when people hear this episode, it will be summer. It will be summer. Yeah. But uh, we're recording in May and it feels like summer. Yeah. Or I like to walk. British people generally like to yeah. walk. Yeah. And all I'm going to say is walking for me is like a step of death constantly. Oh, my word. Because it's so hot. Anything in the like late 80s, early 90s... Is a struggle, but really enjoying it because it means the semester's over. Yeah. um, How are things winding up for you? Semester was great. Hebrew was... Hebrew. (laughs) It's always been Hebrew. So all I'll say is I have a very patient professor for Hebrew. He was great. But no, I actually really enjoyed this semester. Both Miriam and I are studying, so it can be a little tricky at times just to manage that workload. One of my favorite bits of this last semester is we had to write a paper on the Antichrist. And for Americans, I know that you say Antichrist. Yeah, who'd you say uh, it was? You had to identify? You have to get a good grade based on who you say it is? (laughs) Romans to Revelation, basically, what is the Antichrist? Christ. Yeah, okay. I really enjoyed researching that. So it's one of those questions that do crop up quite often in church, especially in different passages, and just really enjoyed doing that paper. My Hebrew final, well, it's final, so <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> okay. I'm not a man for languages. That's what I'll say. Okay, well, good. You Have you had any time to chill out you guys you go see the super mario movie we did see the super mario oh mario mario Mario. (laughs) pronunciations i really liked it personally a lot of nostalgia in there yeah i think there is areas it could improve but i really liked it i enjoyed it good we got some reviews to read i'll read a couple this is luke pie stalker (laughs) (laughs) i'd be shocked if that was their real name (laughs) But they left this review on May the 4th. The reason I asked you about movies is because both of these reference movies, both of these reviews. Luke Pystalker says, leaving a review because you keep asking us to. <laughs> Five stars. May the 4th be with you, which is a Star Wars Day reference. And Oh, and I enjoy the podcast. Yeah. yeah thanks, Luke. I really uh, appreciate the effort that's gone right. into that review. You know what? He's put more effort in than 90% of our listeners have. So, <laughs> oh, sorry. This comes from Ill Star Killer. I don't know if it's kind of a Star Wars theme. What's going on here? Ill Star Killer? Uh, is that not three? Maybe Star it's Killer? a three. I thought it was an I and two L's, but maybe it's. Three I think I's. it's three. Okay. Five stars. Love the podcast. I love the podcast, but I do have a beef with your co-host, Ross Ferguson. He seems sound on his theology. Seems. I am, just to be clear. But his opinion of Christian movies is just wrong. But I guess I will continue to listen to him. He's got a cool accent. There you go. You were just complaining last episode. People don't talk about you. They want other co-hosts. And here's somebody who the whole thing's about you. They didn't say anything about me. It's It's all about Ross Ferguson. Yeah. I'm good for a voice, and that's it. (laughs) His theology seems It seems sound. Seems sound. Well, Starkiller, I appreciate your review, all five stars. We can't be down on the reviews. uh, I've been trying to squeeze reviews out of people. We can't criticize every time a review (laughs) comes in. We've made an agreement. 
agreement that we can mock any review that comes in. Yeah. And I'm just going to say Three Star Killer or whatever your name is. <laughs> you're wrong on Christian movies. Okay. I'm just going to I'm going to keep that running. Yeah. This is going to be like a 10-year online debate and I'm going to continue to stick to my point. I mean, okay, speaking of movies, I can come back here. I've got a beef. I'm going to combine our movie theme with a beef. It's okay. been a while since I've had a beef. So a few weeks ago, a couple of the residents and I went – we met to go see in the theater The Return of the King, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, extended edition. I was psyched because it's in theaters. You get to see what you know this great film on the big screen. It's, it was at 7 o'clock. So those of you who know about the extended – you're looking at a four-hour movie, right? So it's about four hours of cinema. Starts at 7. Okay, I know there's going to be previews. This is already pushing it because it was a Wednesday night. I teach at 8 a.m. on Thursday morning. So I already knew if I show up at 7, maybe 20 minutes of previews, I'm looking at like I'm getting out probably around midnight, maybe a little bit before, and I'm probably not getting to bed until 12.30, 1 a.m., something like that. So 7 a.m., the lights come on, and there's previews. But it's not the normal previews. There's no previews for movies at all. In fact... It's an advertisement for role-playing games. I guess the Lord of the Rings are like, they know their audience is going to be nerds, I guess. It's, yeah, role-playing games, tabletop, you know, games. And then there's another one. And I'm thinking, well, this is interesting. I've never seen ads like this before at a movie. And then there's another one, and we're approaching the 20-minute mark. And I think, is this what it's going to be, 20 minutes of role-playing games? And the answer is no. It's going to be at least 45 minutes. And I am not exaggerating. At, it, it became interesting and then irritating. Like the whole crowd. The, the theater's packed with people who are excited to see this movie. And you feel the collective emotional roller coaster of around minute 25, we're angry. At minute 30, it's funny now. That, like, the last ad goes away, and we're like, oh, right. And then the next one comes up from, you know, Spectre Gaming, and, we're, and everyone starts laughing because we're just like, this has to be like an episode of Candid Camera or Punked or something. <laughs> At minute 35, I'm thinking, okay, I'm not getting out of here until 1 a.m., probably. At minute 40, I'm thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to see this whole movie. At minute 45, with no sign of slowing down. In fact, they were advertising something where the celebrities play a role-playing game. Like, I'm not making this up. <laughs> Every ad was about a game. There was no you know, movie previews. And I, and I was also thinking, are there also going to be 20 minutes of movie previews mm -hmm. at the end of all of this? I didn't realize there were so many game companies. It's just not even in that world. There was so. an advertisement for figurines, the things that you would use in the games. Yeah. There were av several, multiple advertisements for ten-sided dice that you would use in the games. Like use our dice; they have a dragon eye in the middle of them. <laughs> use our dice; they're green. You know, there was multiple of those. It went on and on, and then there was some program of like these celebrities playing a role-playing game that was filmed. And they wanted you to watch this on YouTube, and they kept showing like clips from this thing throughout the deal. And man, I just I was getting so like the beef was growing. I realized this is material for the podcast. At minute forty-five, I gave up because I just didn't. The guy came on the screen and he goes, 
we're pleased to present to you the Lord of the Rings Return of the King. And we all went, woo! And then he goes, but first, <laughs> no. a sneak preview. And we're like, what? A sneak? And I got up. And I went out front, and I never do this. I mean, I've walked out of movies before, but not a whole lot. I walked out and said, "This is starting too late." I've, yeah. and, you know, and, a, and there'd been a long string of people like they were expecting me. There'd yeah. been people who'd been going out, going, "When's the movie going to start? When's the movie going to start?" Uh, not only did I, I got to give it, you know, props to AMC. I love AMC. My wife and our A-list members there. They gave me a refund, and they gave me coupons. Two coupons for free movies. Or readmit movies, and then a coupon for popcorn and a coupon for a drink. And a, I mean, they were like letting it rain with the coupons because I was so you know put out and was ready to leave. Yeah, might be something to do with your live tweeting through the whole process. <laughs> it could have been. It Maybe was, they were seeing my tweets. To be honest, I was sitting at home and I was laughing because you you were like progressively getting more frustrated on your live tweets. It was ridiculous, man. And I cannot believe that they would. I don't even know what marketing person thought that this would be a smart. Thing to do well, I mean, because they lost the whole crowd by if me, you know, 2025, and you don't care sure. about the next day. But I agree, I mean, I just love the fact that you were there. <laughs> just, my question is, did the residents stay? So I went home about an hour and a half later. I texted them and I said, Has the movie started yet? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, Yes. But they didn't stay for the whole movie. Yeah. yeah, one of them, you know, texted me later and was like, I think Joseph was like, we left at, you know, yeah. in, in hour, before hour three of the movie yeah. or something like that. Yeah. It was, man, it's too late. And there was an eight o'clock showing too. And I was thinking, man, if I had come at eight o'clock you and, and there was 45 <laughs> minutes of game advert. Yeah. Ugh, it, now, my question is, did you give this beef to your students in your class at 8 a.m.? No, I don't think I brought it up. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I did. I don't think that I did. <laughs> hey, we're going to talk about something really cool today. We're doing sort of a top 10 list, top 10 Christian musicians. And this is really sort of personal lists. Mm, yes. like we didn't like put our heads together and go, who, you know, thinking objectively would be the top 10 Christian musicians of all time. It's basically your top five and my top five, yeah. the who, ones that have been the most meaningful yeah. to us. Who do we like to listen to and mean something in, in our Christian history? Yeah, so... Tell me something about your story with Christian music. Do you have sort of a is well, it part of your To be honest, you know? so so when I was a teenager, I really liked hip hop and rap. Okay. So I, when I say when I was a teenager, I kind of still do. Yeah, but, yeah, me too. But I'm kind of one of those dad of three kids driving a minivan, <laughs> plays his music quite loud. Okay. So actually, for most of my teenage years, I listened to, you know, 50 Cent, Eminem, all these types of guys. Okay. But after my dad passed away, so I was 13 when he passed away, music for me was a, escapism and needed to kind of drown out a little bit of the emotions. And it's not that it's wrong to kind of do that it was just it was too much for me to kind of handle at times and so music was a big thing for me and when I say music I'm talking like the loudest music you can possibly play so that you're almost disappearing from the world. You get mm. just that time. Yeah. And for me, worship music moved into that. I had learned to play the drums. And so I, I started to kind of listen to artists with lots of drums within worship songs. And I found that over that period of time that I could get lost in the worship. I didn't know at the time that I was actually worshiping, but that's what I was doing. In my grief, I was turning to worship 
but I probably couldn't have phrased it that way as a 14-year-old. Yeah. And I mean, I was listening to some kind of 90s classic stuff, you know, that kind of classic worship hymns that and songs that people kind of hate now in church. Okay. <laughs> uh, but generally speaking, music and Christian worship was escapism for both my brother and I. My brother liked to play the guitar, I liked to play the drums, and after my dad passed away. And so for us, it was a way to express our emotions in worship to God without actually having to express our emotions, yeah. just how to handle it. And then ever since then, for me, music's just been a huge thing. So when we drive, I mean, you'll hear me before you see me. In our car, music's always playing loud. Our kids love music. Music's always going on in our house. And we have quite an eclectic mix. I'm not a believer. You can't listen to non-Christian music. On a whole, I probably listen to Christian music more, but I'm not kind of I don't draw a line on that side of things but for me it's also the stories of the musicians as well I really get caught up in why they have gone into music and have written songs and what is behind them and I think to me that pulls me in even more and a couple of my choices are actually based on that is that I've kind of been pulled into that individual's life story and I praise God for what they're doing and therefore I love the songs they produce okay as far back as I remember, there was Christian music in my home when I was itty-bitty. It was a lot of Gaither stuff that mm-hmm. my parents played and even the kids' stuff. So there was you know children's music that the Gaither, you know, Bill Gaither would put together and, and things like that. They also liked Southern gospel, so like quartet-type things. And I, In fact, I think the first concert I ever went to when I was probably four years old or so, was the Blackwood Brothers, which is a gospel, you know, Southern gospel mm. quartet. Saw some of that. We had some of those albums. As I got a little bit older, began to be introduced, not by my parents necessarily, but by others, to contemporary Christian music, mm. which was still somewhat new. We talked about the Jesus Revolution movie not too long ago, and kind of the origin of CCM kind of comes out of that mm. with the Larry Normans and the second chapter of Axes and some of those folks, Randy Stonehill and so on. And so I remember having my cassette tape that was given to us. It was Amy Grant's Age yeah. to Age. Yeah. The brown cover, the portrait, you know. And I remember playing, especially Sing Your Praise to the Lord, because mm. it had that, it starts with a piano and then it has a guitar riff that comes in. And I thought, this is the closest to rock and roll as so I'm going to get <laughs> listening. I wore that, I would play that song over and over again. And on cassette tape, it meant you had to keep rewinding. It wasn't like you just hit a button and the track starts over. I had to rewind this to keep hearing that song over and over again. And then I had an uncle who would give us some tapes, mm-hmm. and one was Michael W. Smith yep. 2. Yep. I didn't have Michael W. Smith 1. I had Michael W. Smith 2, which for those of you who really go back, it's the cover where he has the Argyle sweater, and the background is the pattern of his Argyle sweater. <laughs> so it's like he's, I don't know, on the wall against his sweater or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. <laughs> I wore that album out over and over again, and then my uncle gave us a tape that I listened not from childhood all the way into college, and it's going to be one of my top five, so okay. I'm going I'm to save that. Did you ever artist. have the kind of like wild worship CDs? No, that was a little bit after my time, so, or at least when I was into worship stuff, it was mostly vineyard okay. stuff, a lot of the vineyard live yeah. stuff. So yeah. we in my early teen years, it was kind of wild worship, now worship, and that 
all, it was all the songs that you would not sing in church. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I remember those CDs. And I, I didn't have a cassette player. I was slightly more modern than yes, you. Right. I had a personal CD yeah. player. That was a massive thing that would sit in your pocket. Then we moved to, when we moved to MP3s, you know, I had such an eclectic mix. And it's also really interesting. You used to get the bus to and from school. And when you're listening to worship music, mm. you can't help but like, you know, bob yeah. your head or whatever. And you've got like your friend next to you listening to Eminem and you're sitting <laughs> right. there. <laughs> praising Jesus in you get Chris Tomlin on yeah. or something yeah. Yeah. yeah well my taste got eclectic as well so I went through especially like late junior high early high school probably like 7th 8th ninth grade I listened to both heavy metal and hip hop secular and Christian not so much Christian hip hop mm. DC Talk I think was DC Talk was Jesus about to come around, the... but they yeah. didn't really even I knew as a good Christian kid like yeah. this is cheesy yeah so I did listen to some of the later DC Talk stuff but early stuff, I just knew this is corny and I'm not interested, especially like if you're listening to, you know, Public Enemy and, you know, NWA and stuff like that, like, with, you know, stuff even that I should have been listening to. But I listened to a lot of Christian metal, like mm-hmm. heavy metal, Deliverance. I love Deliverance. I love Tourniquet. These were like, they actually had really insightful lyrics if you could hear them, if you could understand them. <laughs> They're screaming out things that are actually are somewhat profound, but you know you'd have to actually look at the lyric sheet to even yeah. know what they were saying. You know, this is not my world. That's not your world. Yeah, so I was into that, and then into later high school, I got into sort of the Christian version of the alternative mm-hmm. stuff, kind of the grunge, and there was some really original stuff that came out, like on the Tooth and Nail label. So I was really into the Prayer Chain. They were not Tooth and Nail, but the Prayer Chain was a favorite of mine. Saw them in concert a few times. Poor old Lou which was a band out of Seattle, a C.S. Lewis reference. Mm. Poor old Lou actually comes from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's when nobody's believing Lucy. And I think Peter or somebody says, poor old Lou. So that was the name of their band. I love poor old Lou. Later got into Andrew Peterson, some Mm. of his early stuff. This is me. You have to catch me up to speed, but I have not listened to Christian music in the last probably 15 to 20 years. It's like your Christian movie issue. You don't. I see. I love. There's loads of Christian music coming out. That I felt really like all enjoying. the thoughtful artists disappeared. I, I like Peter. I, I like Andrew Peterson. I do, but I feel like the Andrew Petersons are very few and very far between. See, this is why you have to get into the people's stories to get behind. Well, even why. if I like somebody's testimony, it doesn't mean I'm going to like their music. Well, it depends. It's a kind of corner. Okay, let's do our top ten. Okay, who wants to go first? You want to go? I'll go first. Oh, yeah. I, you're going to notice. Your number? Uh, uh, are we going from five to one? We're going to or five going to one. Yeah, we're going to do okay. ascending order. That, that threw me off a little bit now. <laughs> well, we want to okay. end on our favorites. Okay, I'm, I'm, mine are going to be mainly British related. Okay. Okay, so here's my number five. My number five is 20 Schemes Music. Okay, um, all right. So 20 Schemes is a church planting ministry based in Scotland, led by Mez McConnell. It is looking at scheming in... In, in Scottish slang is basically just like a tough environment. It's Think the project. The, the project style thing. So it's, it's looking at project. planting 20 churches in 20 of the worst schemes in Scotland. And so in that church planting, they found that when many people were coming to Christ in these areas, didn't know how to kind of express their past and all these things. So they created a music group, 20 Schemes Music. Uh, they write songs together. They've actually had like Bob Coughlin and all these guys come over and help them how to know how to write songs. And I I, through COVID, kind of actually found them in terms of, I knew about 20 Schemes, but didn't know about their music side, because they were doing songs based on the issues
issues we were facing in COVID and a Christian response to them. And they were just really uh, heartfelt songs. And I actually, during COVID, got a chance to do a podcast with Saul, uh, one of the lead instrumentalists. He plays the drums. He was ex-army and played in the drum corps in the army. I think he was a Marine, actually, and then retired out and started church planting. And he now leads their music end of things. So 20 Schemes Music, mainly on kind of YouTube. They've got a couple of things on Apple Podcast. They're kind of still making their way, if you will. But just really quite profound when the vast majority of people that are on their group or playing have either become a Christian very recently in some of the roughest areas of Scotland and are praising Christ. And they even do like little videos, like they do the classic, you know, they shoot a video and all these sorts of things. And they have weekenders, all these sorts of stuff. So 20 Schemes Music, it's kind of, they do two things. One both traditional and modern hymns, so trying to be very Christ-centered, and two heartfelt, brand new, original written songs from the schemes. There's actually an album saying called From the Schemes, and it is things like there's a kind of more rap version, there's oh, uh, guitar playing, um, and it's all about their lives coming to Christ in these environments where basically the environments are dead to the gospel and it's 20 schemes going into them so 20 schemes music is my number yeah, five i had no so i know about you know 20 schemes i you know i know mez i didn't know anything about the music so you, yeah. you're turning me on to something that yeah. i wasn't familiar with and I that's only check them out maybe three or four years okay. i would say they've been going yeah. and as i say their lead drummer saul i did an, like a 50 minute interview i'll see if i can find it and i'll uh, ping it to you okay what my number five is a fellow by the name of charlie peacock you ever heard of charlie peacock no oh, yeah. i mean you just told me that 15 years you haven't listened to Christian music, and back then I was a teenager. So. so Charlie Peacock, if anyone has heard his name today, he does more producing and cultivating of younger artists. He was instrumental behind the band The Civil Wars. Some mm. folks are familiar with him. The Civil Wars, Charlie Peacock was their producer, and I think it was kind of their musical Sherpa for a little while. But back in the day, he was one of the sort of avant-garde CCM artists, kind of on the... Someone on the outskirts and that you wouldn't hear a lot of his stuff on radio because it didn't have the kind of, I guess, radio – I'm going to be negative here. It, didn't, it wasn't corny. It wasn't okay. sappy. He was artistic. If you're familiar with any Charlie Peacock song, it's probably because of DC Talk. On their Jesus Freak album – I think it was on the Jesus Freak album. They did a song called In the Light. Mm-hmm. I want to be in the light as he you are in the light. That's actually a cover of a Charlie Peacock song. So okay. he wrote In the Light, and I think he actually sings in that on that track. He sings the chorus, I think. But that's originally a Charlie Peacock song. Charlie Peacock, I loved. I saw him in concert with Margaret Becker. I know I'm dating myself here. When I was, I think, in the eighth grade, they came to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Everyone in my church went, in my youth group went, for Margaret Becker. I don't even know what Margaret Becker's doing these days. I went for Charlie Peacock, the opening act. And it's just phenomenal. He has a very sort of slight voice, and he sings a lot of sort of jazz-influenced, esoterically composed songs, and his lyrics are just – I'm a big lyrics guy, and he's just very poetic, very thoughtful. When I had a job where I was doing a lot of word processing, and basically it was all day, every day, it was just sort of text management, turning you know, pages and pages of conference surveys into – uh, pie graphs and different things like that. I could listen to music on my headphones, mm. and I listen to Charlie Peacock over and over again. And in particular, I want to recommend his song, The Harvest is the End of the World. 
you can go on YouTube. You can hear the song there. I'm sure you can get it, you know, listen to it on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever. The Harvest is the End of the World. I listened to that song over and over again. It brought me such comfort and such joy, very lyrically talented, musically experimental, but pop. I mean, it's, you know, he's not like hard to listen to. It's just different than what most people are used to listening to. So Charlie Peacock's my number five. Okay. My number four is an Australian group. So Emu Music, E-M-U. Okay. Emu Music. Yeah, like the bird. Like the, the bird, okay. Emu Music. Okay. So I, for, again, found them during COVID, and I was able to interview one of their lead singers, Liv Chapman. So Emu Music is well-known in the UK. Well, I don't know if people would know the name, but they're the lead group for Keswick Convention. And Keswick Convention is the largest evangelical Christian conference in the UK set in the rolling green hills of the Lake District in an area called Keswick, beautiful area actually. We had our honeymoon in Keswick many years ago and Emu Music do their kind of lead worship sessions at that convention, that conference. They, the reason I love them is they're very acoustic so I have kind of both realms. I love kind of loud worship bands but I also love the kind of soft, genteel type acoustic versions and Emu Music have done kind of two different things they have taken traditional hymns and kind of brought a real acoustic feel to them as well as done some videos for songs for kids so our kids actually would follow along the songs and they're really cheesy but they're so rich in kind of gospel truth as well want to recommend their album Hymns of Grateful Praise and it really is what it says in the name and it's it's songs we know what a friend crowning with many crowns holy but a more kind of acoustic feel to it and again the story behind this is part of the reason I kind of got hold of them. One is the Keswick Convention, but two, when I interviewed Liv Chapman a couple of years ago, she was actually in Australia quarantining because of COVID for three weeks in a hotel, and she was stuck there, and she was due to get married, and so she was just doing like podcast interviews and things like that during the time. And when and I remember when I we were talking to her, one of the things she said just very clearly is that they just love to do simple gospel-focused songs and hymns so that people would hear the words and the music and melody would just be that kind of backing track just there, but the words were the focus. So, yeah, uh, my number four is Emu Music. Great for church, great for background music. Okay. So if you're doing an event, just great to have that in the background. Nice. Emu Music. All right. My number four is Phil Keggy. You've heard of him? Nope. <laughs> Not heard of Phil Keggy. Okay. The greatest nine-fingered guitarist okay. of all time. Okay. And in fact, a world-renowned as a guitarist by other famous guitarists. There is a now sort of legendary story that it's actually not true of Jimmy. It depends on who you're listening to. When I was a kid, it was Jimi Hendrix was on The Tonight Show, and he was asked, what's it like to be the greatest guitarist in the world? And he said, I don't know. Ask Phil Keggy. That okay. began to circulate. I've heard that it was Eddie Van Halen who said it. I've heard it. You know, it was Eric Clapton who said it. It's not true, but it could be because Phil Keggy is an amazing guitarist and has a variety of albums. He kind of comes a little bit on the tail end of kind of the Jesus movement stuff, but really hit his heyday, I think, in the 80s. So he's the artist that Christian artists would say is their favorite Christian artist kind of thing, around that time anyway. Was pulled into a lot of bands. In fact, there was a trio in the 90s, I think mid to late 90s, Keggy King and Dente, where it was Wes King, I'm going to forget, Scott Dente, and Phil Keggy, and they all play guitar, and and I saw them live in Nashville an amazing show, the three of them. Uh, he has an instrumental album, Phil Keggy does, called Beyond Nature. 
that I listened to all night when I was in high school for a year or so. Just put it on repeat on my little CD player and just listen. It's like it's so soothing, so wonderful. Once, when I lived in Nashville, I went to this basically ghost town of a mall, the Bellevue Mall, which doesn't exist anymore. They tore it down. Walked in to run an errand. They had a, there was a food court that had a stage on it, empty food court. It was like nobody there, maybe a couple people. And there was a guy on stage plunking guitar. And I walked by and I looked up and I thought, that kind of looks like Phil Keggy, but uh, that, that can't be Phil Keggy. And I went and ran my errand. Came back. As I'm walking back out, I look up. It's Phil Keggy. He's, stand, he's on the stage in the Bellevue Mall food court just playing guitar. Mm. And I thought, and I couldn't stay, and I kicked myself because he's an amazing artist, fantastic artist, and his, of course, his lyrical music is great as well, not just his instrumental. But love Phil Keggy's work. Very, if you could think of sort of uh, Inklings influenced music, he would be a forerunner to like an Andrew Peterson, you know, type singer songwriter. Lots of virtuoso guitar work. So I highly recommend Phil Keggy. Okay, yeah. so my number three. We're now yep. going to Northern Ireland. Okay. The Gettys. Hey, there we go. All right, um, we're getting closer to the homeland. We're getting closer to the <laughs> homeland, yeah. I've noticed that mine are kind of all over different countries yeah, and right. currently not America. Mm. So, no, I love the Gettys. So it was really interesting, actually. They came to a concert. They actually had a concert here in January, I think it was. They came here, and I was surprised how many students didn't know who the Gettys were. And then I just said, oh, interesting. And I just said, in Christ alone. They were like, yeah, we know that song. It's like, that's the Gettys. The Gettys wrote in Christ Alone with Stuart Townend and Stuart Townend would actually be one of my top 10 as well but not in the top 5 but yes Keith and Kristen Getty you'll know them from things like In Christ Alone The Power of the Cross The Lord is My Salvation My Worth is Not in What I Own By Faith or Church Arise these are kind of songs quite a lot of kind of modern hymns are, that are sung in churches the Gettys are on that in terms of writers. Right. So I really love them. I love the kind of Celtic element to it. I love that they bring violins and, you know, Celtic drumming and all that into it. But one of the key things, and again, this is getting behind the story of them, they've been kind of going for like 20, 20 plus years, I've done loads of different things. Kristen's, you know, done the ESV Bible. She's read that. But one of the things they started again during COVID, I knew them before that, but they started the family hymn sing. And okay. so once a month, they would bring their girls together. They have four girls. And they would just sing for half an hour with their girls around the piano. And just that kind of watching a family together worship. Now their children come to their concerts and sing with them. And they also have a hymn of the month for their family. So all month long, they sing that hymn together as a family. And the reality is by the end of the month, that hymn will then be known as a family. But I love that Keith is really funny during his concerts. If you watch him on anything yeah. like the Sing conference or anything like that. Keith is very funny. I've interviewed him before. He's not just funny. He's a little, I don't know, surprised. He keep he keeps you on your heels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I really, like, uh, I really like that when Kristen is speaking about her talent, she has an incredible voice. She's very humble about it in terms of her approach. Uh, but I just love the when people say, oh, we don't sing hymns because they're old. Well, you haven't heard the Gettys because yeah. the Gettys are classic hymn writers 
but bringing that kind of modern Celtic kind of fast-paced nature to it. So I love the Gettys. They're my number three. Awesome. My number three, and I won't say a whole lot about them, but it's Caveman's Call. It's the only oh, group yeah. on my list. Yeah. Love Caveman's Call. And yeah. they hold a... They, they're not together No, they're not anymore. together anymore. But they just did a reunion show. Yeah. Um, I heard them live. Yeah, yeah. The reunion show kind of got some mixed reviews uh. because of sort of where Derek Webb is the yeah, last yeah. few years. We're not even sure, you know, his... Well, I mean, he has disavowed his, you know, the Christian faith yeah. that he professed before. But back in the day, and I'm going to say in particular the album 40 Acres. I literally just pulled that up on my phone. Yeah. That's my favorite album. So 40 Acres, man, it was so helpful to me and kind of... Thankful is my favorite song on that. It actually... I know a lot of, like, Calvinists who would say mm-hmm. 40 Acres was, like, the album. Yeah. Like, if you could attribute it... You might would say an R.C. Sproul book or a John Piper mm. book, but it was a Cayman's Call album yeah. that actually helped you see some of the beauty in Reformed yeah. theology, the artistry in it, and yeah, just really, I think, affirmational, mm. thoughtful, of course. And and I love sort of the the multiple influences just among the members. They have multiple lead singers, yeah. and so you almost have this sort of eclectic yeah. Kind of contribution and collaborative effort, and I've loved a couple other albums besides Forty Acres as well. Mm-hmm. But that was, you know, probably my favorite. Yeah. It was on repeat in my car a lot. They came to the UK, so this was the first ever Christian group I heard okay. live. Oh wow! They came to the UK to our church that sits right in the middle of Edinburgh to do a ministry event, and I still remember it because the drummer bought a trash can, yes. and on yeah. thankful plays a trash can towards the end, yeah. and I was mesmerized. <laughs> as this kind of like 10-year-old yeah. just watching this guy. I can't believe we agree. Yeah. Well, I love too because they're from the Houston area and I was from Houston. Okay. And so I, we had mutual friends. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I didn't know them, but I knew guys who knew them. And, you know, it just was neat to kind of feel like the hometown yeah, yeah. team, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so my number two, we are now at home, a Scottish group okay. called Celtic Worship. Okay. So I, I'm picking up a theme. Yeah, with yeah. So Celtic Worship, wonderful group, all Scottish, from mainly from the kind of north side of Scotland. They, again... I like traditional hymns in the kind of Celtic fashion. They've done that. But I love their album, Morning Tide. So again, they've actually got some Celtic singing on it as well. No idea what they're saying, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> okay, to understand it. No, I, again, I'm not <laughs> a language. What hope do I have? <laughs> I'm not a language guy. But yeah, one of the things I love about them is they're from such diverse backgrounds. So one of their lead singers is actually, actually an actress and has you know, been on kind of several different TV shows and things like that in Scotland. But the thing I love about Celtic Celtic worship is the fact that they are Scottish. So there's bagpipes, there's flutes, there's violins, their drummer, Daddy, is really good, really enjoy listening to him. But yeah, Celtic worship for me is, when I was talking earlier about the kind of stress release and the escapism, Celtic worship's that for me. If I've had a long day... I'll put Morning Tide on and I'll listen through Morning Tide. And it goes through kind of fast-paced songs as well as kind of gentle songs. And again, through COVID, they did multiple videos. So you can actually, through this, one of the things I would recommend is going onto YouTube and they've got like a trilogy of their Morning Tide. So just three songs back to back on a video and really good. When on campus, they do events. So like the Long Night Against Procrastination, there's an event on campus that happens. I always post the Celtic Worship's albums for students to listen to. And I'm actually always surprised how many people know who Celtic worship is. Oh, interesting. Um, So there's Morning Tide. I would recommend that. But one of the ones that the first albums I listened to them was Homeward. And it released, I think, just 
before COVID or maybe right on the cusp. And Homeward, again, takes traditional hymns, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, I Stand Amazed, also some modern ones, 10,000 Reasons, okay. and brings just a really strong Celtic element to it. Yeah. It's Celtic worship. Celtic worship. All right. I really had a hard time deciding my two and one, which was going to go in which okay. spot. But I've, I've, this is where I've landed. My number two is Keith Green. Okay. I've heard you talk about Keith, Keith Green Keith Green may be the greatest, but I've got him at my number two spot. He really kept my faith. The Lord used him to keep my faith afloat in late high school, which is funny in some ways because I – was introduced to Keith Green when I was a little kid. So this was one of the tapes that my uncles gave us with Keith Green's album, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. And on the tape, I remember even seeing this because I just loved reading liner notes and reading you know, stuff on, on you know, books and tapes and movies and things. And it said on there, this album may not be sold. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, how did he get it if it can't be sold, right? And the later, as you, as I became familiar with Keith Green's story, he was of the conviction that he should not sell his music, mm-hmm. and so he would accept a donation or what have you. But he also was under the conviction that other artists should not, you know, Christian artists should not sell their music either, which kind of rubs some people the wrong way. But Keith Green was just a force of nature, mm-hmm. lyrically not incredibly complex, mm-hmm. somewhat of a child prodigy. You know, I read his biography by his widow, Melody Green, when I was in high school. I had a youth pastor who just loved Keith Green, grew up in the Jesus mm-hmm. music you know, movement, and was a huge Keith Green guy. He introduced me to Keith Green. His passion for Keith Green was so you know, magnetic and attractive. For me, I fell in love with Keith Green. I, I picked up his bio. As a child, he was on national television playing the piano, ha- signed a record deal as like a child artist, mm-hmm. you know, went through, of course, sort of the hippie phase that a lot of adolescents did was, uh, you know, pagan as all get out. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole deal. And then Jesus got a hold of him, and he was radically changed, and he became basically a radical Christian mm-hmm. and known for his staunch, no compromise yeah. kind of faith. Some would say even borderline legalistic sort of faith. But Keith Green produced music, lyrically very simple, very, if you just look at the lyrics, you may would say corny or mm-hmm. cheesy. It's the kind of thing that Christian radio would favor for its simplicity. But there's such a sincerity and power in his voice, you never doubt for a second that he believes every single word that he is saying. And musically, it's like, I don't know, a hurricane, him on the piano, banging away on the piano, his voice, again, very simple, and yet there's just, you feel the weight of his faith Mm. and the weight of his devotion even in songs like Letter to My Parents, where he's basically pleading that his parents would come to faith. And the mm-hmm. song is just very explicitly like, I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. And, you know, songs like uh, the Easter song, Hear mm-hmm. the Bells. I mean, there's just yeah. what he's doing is simple, and yet it's so powerful. And I wish, you know, he sadly died tragically at a young age in a, a, an airplane crash. This was in the early 80s as well. So he barely got going, really. Yeah. And left behind, you know, a wife and young children. But his legacy continues, and I wish more like the younger generation would be, you know, turned on to Keith yeah. Green's work. I, I think he... even like later artists. There was in the '90s. There was a group of Christian artists, the Amy Grants and others. Yeah. They did a tribute album yeah. where they kind of covered his songs, and that was good. But it's still not quite the same no. as hearing Keith Green. I was about to say, I knew that tribute album. Yeah, That's okay. where I kind of heard through him. And you've also quoted him in a couple of sermons as well. Mm-hmm. So, 
Okay, my number one. Yes. This is really easy we for a, me. Do we have a drum? Do we have... Oh, that, no, oh. that's clapping. Well, but, we okay, do we'll that. do that. Hey. All right. Okay, number so my one. number one is Steph McLeod. Steph McLeod is a Scotsman. Okay. Uh, there's actually several okay. reasons why I okay. picked Steph as my number one. One of the reasons is he's Scottish. Okay. So Steph is a classically trained guitarist, but his story is overwhelming and also what then leads him into to music. So he, he's also been on an album with Celtic Worship, but he's an artist within his own right. So Steph, being classically trained a guitarist, did not have a good life, though. He turned to drugs and alcohol very much was an addict and ended up living on the streets and was homeless and was not a Christian and went to a Christian homeless shelter who mm-hmm. took him in to care for him and they had a general rule where they would take guys to church and they took Steph to church on the Sunday and Steph heard the gospel and became a Christian and ever since has then turned his talents and his training to Um, writing Christian songs and spreading the gospel. He has struggled, you know, when you have been an addict and lived on the streets, those struggles do continue to kind of haunt you. And he's been very honest over the years in terms of uh, times where he has um, struggled with that addiction and tried to get off things. But again, he's incredible. One of the reasons, one is story. I'm going to read out some lyrics and then I'll give my last reason. So the song I love most that Steph does, there's two songs I love most. Here's the first. He wrote, When I Found Jesus. Mm. And just listen to these words. When I found Jesus, he was holding on to me. Broken, I couldn't stand up on my feet. With a word, he broke my chains. I was free to breathe again. My life was saved by the loving blood of Jesus. And then the chorus goes like this. He took the weight of my shoulders and came and gave me rest. He came and gave me rest, gave me peace from my troubles. Lord, I have been blessed. Mm. So I, I love Steph McLeod, a really kind of genuine guy. I also love his version of What a Friend We Have in Jesus, a kind of good old classic. But the third reason why I put him is I had the opportunity so I had COVID personally a couple of years ago. All of mine kind of have a story related to COVID. That's when I was listening to a lot of music recently. And I emailed Steph and just said, like, I currently have COVID. I'm unable to preach. I'm struggling. I was physically struggling. I said, I, I want to try and bless my church. Would you come and give your testimony on a Zoom call to our church? And he agreed. He was very busy at the time, but he mm. agreed. And he gave his testimony. And then at the end of that session, he had been maybe speaking for 40 minutes. I said, you know, would you play some songs for us? Would you sing for us on Zoom? He gave us a mini concert. Like he literally went song after song and then he stopped. And I thought he had finished. And he said, there's only so many songs you can play in that chord progression. So give me a second. He changed chord (laughs) progression and then did another several songs. Um, Just a really incredible guy. And there's something about people that have met hardship in their life and struggles. And then have turned that through the gospel into something to bless others. And so Steph travels all over the world. I think recently I I noticed that he was in Sweden, I think he was, uh, teaching how to write music and songs to to Christian students in Sweden. But he's been so informative for me in terms of music scene. And one of the key things I remember, I was serving a church maybe seven years ago. He was due to come to play and he actually cancelled the concert that night. And the reason he cancelled is he had relapsed into his kind of addictive tendencies. And he was really honest and he was really open. He said, like, I need to be with my family. I'm struggling again. And, you know, pray for me. And lots of people were praying for Steph. And, you know, he came back out of that relapse and wrote some more songs and started playing with Celtic worship. They're just a really incredible guy. 
And when you talk to him, and this is the key thing for me, when you talk to him and you listen to his music, one thing is so abundantly clear. He loves Jesus Hmm. because Jesus saved him from the gutter. And so for me, that's quite an incredible story. It's similar to my dad's story. And just I love his voice as well. He's very funny as well. So he's the type of guy that's like, he'll say things like, that's a banging tune in a Scottish accent. (laughs) So I highly, highly recommend Steph McLeod. And to be honest, because he travels so much, if you're a church that wants to kind of pull guys in and, you know, do a concert or anything like that, like Steph McLeod is top of my list to bring people. So. Well, my number one, and again, I wrestled whether to go with this guy as two and Keith Green as one, is another artist who died at a young age. We don't, he's no longer with us. He died in a car crash, not a plane crash, but he was taken from us. It's Rich Mullins. Yeah. I love Rich Mullins. And I think I give him the edge. I, I think Rich Mullins may be the greatest Christian musical artist of that generation of the you know CCM era, I was going to say of all time, but of course you got to go, you know, handle and everybody else mm-hmm. if you're going for Christian musicians of all time. I think of that generation. I think he's probably the greatest musically, lyrically. No one comes close to the poetic depth and artistry and the playfulness mm-hmm. of Rich. So Andrew Peterson would be kind of in the Rich Mullins vein. I mean, he oh not kind of he's in the Rich Mullins vein, singer songwriter. Very thoughtful lyrics, that sort of thing. Unique voice. They both actually have kind of a unique sort of voice. When I was a kid, I had the album A Liturgy, A Legacy, and A Ragamuffin Band, which is maybe his biggest album. Up to that point, Rich was probably best known for the song Awesome God. I was about to say, it's Awesome God that he's done, isn't it? And I think he hated that that was what he was best known for. Mm. If you heard a Rich Mullins song on the radio, that's what it's it was. Awesome God, yeah. And it, even like the fans were upset about that. Yeah. The full song is actually not that bad, but you know the chorus is fine. Yeah. The ly- the verses are very playful, actually. Yes. When you know when he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the ritz. Yeah. You know? But in church, when we sang it, we never sang those verses. No. We just would sing the chorus over and over again. <laughs> and maybe there was some, you know, we'd add something in, or it would be thrown into another song as a bridge mm-hmm. or something. That's what most people would know if they know anything from Rich Mullins, which is really a shame because his songs are so incredible. Mm-hmm. On that album, A Liturgy, A Legacy, and A Ragamuffin Band, the song The Color Green, Mm -hmm. oh, man, it's so moving in the way that it builds, and it starts slow, and then it just built the orchestral swell as he's singing these great lyrics about just observing Mm -hmm. the glory of God in nature and rejoicing, enjoying God's glory in things as simple as seeing the color green. God Mm -hmm. gave us the color green. Songs like that, he produced, the last album he produced, in fact, he died before he had a chance to record it truly. It was called the Jesus Record. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Rich is living on a Native American reservation. In fact, he lived there for a number of years. And he had taken somewhat of a vow of poverty. He lived very simply, very poorly. And so he's living on this reservation. And he recorded basically the demo of this mm-hmm. album in the chapel that they had built on the reservation. And so what happened is... When he after he died, there were his friends, you know, mm-hmm. different artists, Amy Grant among them, and some others, Michael W. Smith. They recorded those tracks, and so there was a double album that was put out called the Jesus Record. And the first track or the first CD in the album was all the artists covering the song, so they're all f- mm-hmm. you know filled in. And the Amy Grant song, "Nothing Is Beyond You," I think that's what it's called. 
which is based on one of the Psalms. It's my favorite Amy Grant song. It's not even her song. It's a Rich Mullins song. But you also had the other disc was Rich singing these songs in kind of the tinny, mm-hmm. unpolished, just him and a guitar or a piano in this chapel, and they don't sound great acoustically. But you get the simplicity of his voice yeah. and the sincerity of his voice, and they just—they don't make him like Rich Mullins yeah. anymore. He's—he's yeah. he's just the best, just the greatest of all time, I think. So let's run down, man. When we're pushing fifty minutes on this episode, let's just each give our five again, yep. in case someone's taking notes. So this is my five. Number five is Charlie Peacock. Number four is Phil Keggy. Number three is Caveman's Call. Number two is Keith Green. And number one is Rich Mullins. And my number five, 20 Schemes Music. Number four, Emu Music. Number three, Gettys. Number two, Celtic Worship. Number one, Steph McLeod. I know we're running late, but yeah. let me just say this. Yeah. I noticed a Twitter quiz thing recently. Top 25 songs played through Apple Music. Yeah. Christian music, top 25 Christian artists. There was only three groups in that 25. They're the three that you would probably think in terms of modern modern Pentecostal charismatic type names. Can I just say we had 10 different names there? Don't settle. Yeah, for three names. There's mm. so much richness and beauty yes. in worship music in artists out there. I've got like another eight on my list of different. <laughs> so I, like, there's just so much out okay. there from so many different countries. Don't settle for mm. three of the big Pentecostal charismatic arms. Look at the richness that is in gospel-centered, Jesus-loving artists that are around the world. You yeah. are, will be greatly enriched by doing so. Amazing. I enjoyed this episode. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe we agree on Kidman's call as well. Yeah, that's right. If you enjoyed the episode, dear listener, give us a good review on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars or whatever the max amount of stars is on Spotify. Share us on social media so that other people can know about us. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.